Uh, it's really good to be with you. This is actually only my second time ever in Scotland. It's my wife's first time in Scotland. That's awful, isn't it? I'm now 63 and it's taken all this time to get here. We're here for three or four days. We've been in Newcastle over the weekend uh, and it's a joy to be here with you this evening. And great to see all these uh, young people here. Wonderful. Great that you're here this evening. Well, what I want to do uh, this evening is just to focus our thoughts just for a few minutes upon one line from the Lord's Prayer. So it's page 970 uh, in the church uh, Bible in the NIV, page 970, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I'll read from verse 9. This then, says Jesus, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just that line, those three words, your kingdom come, that I want to focus our minds and hearts on as we come to pray together this evening. As I'm sure you know, Matthew has a great emphasis about the kingdom of God in his biography of the Lord Jesus. The kingdom first inaugurated with the coming of Jesus, Messiah, but a kingdom which is essentially the place of his rule here on earth. Whilst he's in sovereign control of the whole cosmos, he is the creator, he's sovereign, he's ruler of it all, there's a particular uh, way in which uh, Matthew uses uh, the idea to, to convey to us that the idea of the kingdom of Jesus relates especially to his people, his church. Those folk he's gathering right through the ages from every country, every nationality, right through time itself to populate a new heaven and a new earth. The kingdom, of course, arrives with the coming of Christ, and right now it's a present reality. But at the same time, it's a future realm. Your kingdom come. It's begun in part, but it's not yet fully complete. And we're to pray for the coming of this kingdom. This kingdom's going to survive a cataclysmic renewal of all that is around us, of the heavens and the earth itself. And to be born into this kingdom requires nothing less than the supernatural work of God, that same power which was at work when Jesus rose again from the dead. The Bible tells us that very same power has to be at work to bring people like you and I from spiritual death to spiritual life, to be birthed into this family, into this kingdom, to be under the rule of this eternal king. And it's all open to all who will humble themselves before God. Because to them, says Jesus, in Mark's gospel, belongs the kingdom. To those who receive this kingdom in childlike trust. And on entering the kingdom, we're told to seek it first and foremost in our lives. Later on, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, doesn't he, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, all the daily necessities of life, all those things that occupy our concerns, uh, and, and rightfully so often. But he says, look, those are all secondary to this kingdom 
Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Because it's of paramount importance. Nothing matters more in this world, in our lives, as God's people, than this kingdom. And we have to be ruthlessly self-denying, ruthlessly sin-denying in order to focus upon this kingdom. Remember how Jesus put it? Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, one foot, one hand, than to go to hell, physically whole, but spiritually maimed. So when we pray, as we're going to be praying, I think, tonight, your kingdom come, and we're going to be specific, I'm sure, about the coming of the kingdom in those places where tomorrow you'll be in the workplace, or you'll be in school, or you'll be in university, or you'll be in your home, you'll be rubbing shoulders with neighbors and friends and family and so on. When we're going to pray for the coming of the kingdom and for the will of Jesus to be done, it's a prayer that arises out of a deep sense of privilege of being partners together with God himself in the coming of this kingdom. Because it's through people like you and I, through our life and through our lips, that God chooses to extend this kingdom. If you're a Christian here tonight, how did you become a Christian? Two things were involved. Firstly, God brought a witness into your life. Somebody who lived out the gospel. You saw the gospel, in a sense, before you heard it and understood it. So somebody came and lived it out, but also somebody told you. That isn't just about being a good person. In fact, it's not about being a good person at all. It's about being. The result of doing what you do is a result of a deep inward change of your heart because you've been brought from death to life spiritually by the Spirit of God. And to us then belongs this wonderful privilege of being part of his eternal kingdom. Now I just want to quickly flick you over a few pages to Matthew chapter 13. And we find there, we're not going to go through them one by one, we haven't got time, we've got so much to fit in this evening, I don't think there's going to be time to go to bed tonight. But there are six parables here, and they provide us, and I hope there'll be a stimulus for us when we come to pray, because they remind us of the varied and splendid nature of the kingdom that God is establishing around the world and has been ever since Jesus came. So in the parable, verse uh, 24 of uh, uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the weeds, it's a reminder that this kingdom work is long-term business. And we're likely to get it wrong if we jump to premature conclusions. Because the day of harvest will reveal the wheat and the weeds. So there may be some folk on our hearts this evening, we're thinking, they've heard the gospel so many times. It might be somebody precious to in us, our family, and we think they're so far away from God. Remember, dear friend, we only see part of the snapshot right now. The parable of the, of the sower and the weeds is a reminder that this is a long-term business. It's God's kingdom, and he brings people to him in his time. The parable of the mustard seed reminds us that this kingdom is so improbable, so minute, so vulnerable, so insignificant. It can seem like that, can't it? Here we are in the, in the capital city of Scotland and, what, a couple of hundred people of us here tonight, but the population of Edinburgh is 160,000, 460,000. Get, get that right. So small compared to the population. 
and we extend that to Britain, and it's just a handful. And we can go to some other countries, can't we? And there literally is just a handful of Christians, especially in some of the Arab countries and some of the countries dominated by Islam. This kingdom seems so weak, so insignificant, and what's more, so do its citizens. If you feel weak and insignificant tonight, join the club. Because God chooses the weak things of the world. But this parable reminds us that's exactly the way that God works. And what is weak in the eyes of the world? What is insignificant? Remember how Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. What is despised in the eyes of the world is actually the very means, the very seed, the very mustard seed that God uses to grow his kingdom. The parable of the yeast. Well, like yeast, this kingdom, this gospel permeates the whole dome. So Christ builds his kingdom quietly, inconspicuously, and yet incredibly powerfully. And the last day is going to reveal just how powerful this gospel has been. We might say that um, the gospel, like yeast, punches far above its weight. So be encouraged to pray. It's like yeast. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl in verses 44-45 reminds us of the pricelessness of this. See, tomorrow we're going to be with people and so many of their agendas and horizons and ambitions and desires are tied up with gaining things now. Valuable things. Things that are going to serve the longing of their heart. But we know if we're Christians that that is a route to folly, isn't it? We're not made for the gifts, we're made for the giver. God alone can supply and meet those deepest needs of our hearts. And in the gospel, there's the treasure. Christ is our wisdom, he is our righteousness. He alone is the pearl of greatest value. He's the lily of the valley. And it's all there in this gospel, and it's all wrapped up in this kingdom. And then, of course, verse 47, the parable of the net. Look around, will you? You see, the gospel catches all sorts of people, doesn't it? All sorts of people. Different nationalities, different social backgrounds, different interests. So varied. But it's for all men. It's for all races. It's for all types of people. And every church could be a little microcosm of that, shouldn't they? Of the reflection of what God is doing in the big picture, in the macro picture. This gospel, the parable of the net, says once again, only on that great day of Christ will the bad fish from the good fish be revealed. So, brothers and sisters, as we come to pray this evening for the coming of his kingdom, let's be encouraged to remember that it's through the weakness of people like you and I, through our frailties, but yet through seeking first the kingdom of God as a paramount importance in our individual lives and in our collective life together as the people of God, that this kingdom comes. What a marvelous thing. Praise God.